0: Good morning, my name is Alex, I'm the lead pastor here at Corian, and I want to welcome you to our online service today, July 12th, we're glad you're able to join us. We're continuing our sermon series in Ephesians this morning, and we've actually made it to half time in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Today we get to the end of chapter 3, and that's exactly halfway through this letter, and that means it's time for a break. So we're wrapping up our series in Ephesians today for the summer. We'll pick it back up in September. And this is the perfect moment to hit pause on Ephesians because the letter is divided into two parts. And this morning we get to the end of the first part. In part one, Paul gives us these incredible building blocks of Christian doctrine, Christian truth, Christian teaching. He answers the big questions of identity. Who are we as followers of Jesus? And then starting in chapter four, he's going to get into the practicalities of how we live that out. What's distinctive about the Christian life? We've heard a lot in the first half of this letter about how we're God's holy people, set aside for his purposes. Now, what does that look like? And we're going to see that uh, in uh, all of its color, all of its variety, starting uh, in September when we come back to Ephesians. So this morning, we are looking at a prayer in the third chapter of Ephesians, and it's one of the most remarkable prayers in the whole Bible. Um, when I said that word doctrine, I don't know what you thought of, but Paul only ever gives us God's truth, God's teaching in the more abstract by surrounding it with prayers. And he does that in this letter right from the beginning. He thanks God for the Ephesians Christians, he, the Ephesian Christians. He calls them saints, God's holy people. And then at the end of chapter one, we saw. Uh, this equally remarkable prayer that he prays, asking for them to have the power of the resurrection in their lives. And so now, at the end of chapter 3, as, as we pivot from the doctrine, the truth of the first part of this letter, to the practicality of the second part of this letter, he's going to pray. It's kind of like a linchpin. It's, it's a ligament that allows the muscle and bone to work Uh, Together, so that the body can move. You can think of it that way. So let's pray before we open our Bibles to the third chapter of Ephesians. Holy Spirit, come and enlighten us. Come and empower us as your people so that we can more fully grasp the beauty and the scope of the love of Jesus and so that we can live lives that are worthy of the calling we've received. Would you root us in your grace and peace, we pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, I'd encourage you at this point to go and grab a Bible if you don't have one already in front of you. Maybe you've got it on a screen and that's great. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And, and as you're grabbing a Bible, or, or even if you're not, um, would you think about maybe grabbing a piece of paper? Because I'm going to invite you later in the service to do something uh, with that paper and it'll be handy if you've got it ready. So reading from the 14th verse of Ephesians chapter 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in and around the city of Ephesus. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever asked yourself why superhero movies are so popular? We love them in our family. Whether it's Marvel or DC, we've got our favorites. Okay, mostly Marvel. I think it's about power. We love the drama of these stories about superheroes. But even more, I think, at a maybe even subconscious level, we love to imagine ourselves having that kind of power. What we would do. With those abilities and that's why some of the most compelling stories um, coming out of marvel and dc are about ordinary people like peter parker who find out that they have special powers and if you don't know that one peter parker becomes spider-man well it's not a superhero movie but one of my favorite films is the born identity it's kind of along the same idea of discovering your powers The Bourne Identity tells the story of Jason Bourne, a CIA agent who forgets who he is. He has amnesia when a mission he's on goes wrong. And subsequently, Bourne discovers that he has these powers, uh, these abilities, um, these skills. And and as he starts to remember who he is to figure out where he's come from, because he's forgotten all of this, he, he uses that power to find his identity, and even to redeem his life, you could say. We always like to start with power. We like to be in control, especially when we feel like there are so many things in our lives that we can't control. And I think we've felt that more than ever over the last four months with this pandemic. We figure often, we figure that if we can get enough money or enough power, if we can position ourselves just right, that we'll be able to save ourselves. But Paul tells us that identity comes before power. We, who we are as Christians comes before how we can live out the Christian life, how we can get things or do things as Christians. We need to know who we are in Christ first, and then the power will come. And so identity comes before power for Paul and, and in the Christian life generally. For two chapters uh, that we've read and studied together so far, Paul has been grounding the Christians in Ephesus in their identity in Christ. He's been doing that for us too as as we've navigated the challenges in our lives these days, um, as we're unable to do some of the things as a church and, and individually that used to define us, that used to be a huge part of who we were. And now as Paul concludes this first half of his letter, he prays for us. He prays for three things in particular. He prays, first of all, for power. He prays for love. And he prays for fullness. And these three are are all interwoven through the prayer that we read already. Power, love, and fullness. In verse 14, Paul writes, For this reason I kneel before the Father. What reason is that? Well, you have to go back to the very first verse of this chapter, chapter 3, where he says the same thing. He says, for this reason. It's almost like verses one to 13 of this chapter were a digression, and now he's just getting back on track when he says for a second time, for this reason I kneel before the Father. So what's the reason he's kneeling and praying? Well, you need to go back to the end of chapter two, and throughout that chapter, Paul has reminded us of who we are in Christ, that we are saved by grace through faith alone, that it's through Jesus and thanks to him that we can come close to God, and that he is our peace, not just between us and God, but also between us and those with whom we might experience conflict, those from whom we would normally be divided. And in the case of the church in Ephesus, that was between Jews and Gentiles. So, So Paul starts with a prayer for power. And and that's the power to overcome those divisions. That's the power to live out who we are in Jesus. He's, He's praying that this will be real for us and not just ideas. Paul has to pray because he knows we can agree with everything he's said. We can nod our heads as we're reading through Ephesians. And we can still not have Christ dwelling in our hearts. We can still not grasp his love. We can hear but not actively listen. Maybe you grew up in the church, and you feel you've heard it all before, and, and you believe it, but if you don't grasp it and live it out, if you don't have the love of Jesus as a breathing, pulsing reality, day by day in your life, then you will end up frustrated and disappointed. There will be an emptiness to your faith that maybe some of you can relate to feeling that way. Jonathan Edwards, the the great American theologian, talks about this and, and compares it to knowing about honey. He says, you can know that honey is sweet. You can read about it. People can tell you about the sweetness of honey. But until you taste honey for yourself, you don't really know. You can have all the facts, you can have all the head knowledge, but until you actually taste the honey, it's not going to be the same. And once you taste it, the sweetness will become part of who you are, your lived experience. The Gospel leads us to experience God's love, not as a foregone conclusion, something we take for granted, we just know is available, but... As a marvelous surprise something that meets us each day something that is new and that takes our breath away this isn't the power to leap tall buildings or to overcome our enemies with our strength it's the power to be rooted in the love of christ and only the holy spirit can give us that kind of power paul is asking for us to have it here but we need to ask as well every day of his life hudson taylor a missionary to China in the 19th century prayed a simple prayer. He prayed Lord Jesus make thyself to me a living bright reality or in today's language with less of a rhyme God make yourself real to me. Show me who you are. Show yourself to me today. And that's a prayer that if we take it to God our our desire to grow in our faith, our wanting to be closer to him, to experience all the good gifts he has for us, he will honor that. Over the past few months, I've been using Lectio 365 as part of my daily devotions. Lectio 365 is a devotional resource that helps you pray the Bible every day. It's produced by leaders of the 24-7 prayer movement, which some of you might have heard about. It's really good. I recommend it. And I'd encourage you to try it this week. Maybe you're looking for something this summer, something new in your devotional life. Maybe you've never really had devotions, never really done that. Um, And and if you haven't, Lectio 365 is a great way to start. It's 10 minutes of guided prayer and scripture reading. And in our family, we found that it's a, a peaceful way of starting each day by listening to God. You can download it as an app on your phone or on your tablet, or you can get a text version of it if you prefer. And, and one thing I found helpful is they, they make an acronym out of the word PRAY, the Lectio 365 people. And so P in PRAY is for pausing, it's for taking a deep breath. And, and I, I, we so seldom do that, at least I find in, in the busyness of my life. Um, being invited to pause and take that breath has been perfect beginning to spending time with God. And then the R in the word pray is for rejoicing with a psalm and reflecting on another passage of scripture. The A in pray is for asking for God's help and asking for his help with uh, situations in our life and, and with other people. And Y is for yielding to his will, which is probably the hardest part of it. All of those aspects of prayer are important. When we pray and when we ask him The Holy Spirit gives us the power to know Jesus and to know his love more and more. And that is going to change everything. So love is the next thing that Paul gets to in his praying for us. He started with power and now he's on to love. Paul prays for us as people who are rooted and established in God's love. He prays that we will have power once again to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I love that image, the wideness and length and height and depth of the love of Jesus. Except it's, it's not really an image on its own. It's, it's dimensions. It's, it's what we experience in our lives. It's the three-dimensionality of the world around us. Or it used to be before this pandemic, right? Now, now it seems like often our lives are mediated through screens, through two dimensions. But the interesting thing here is that Paul adds a fourth dimension all you need are width, length, and height to get three dimensions. Paul adds depth, which which is kind of a version of height. Height, you could think of it as going up, and depth going down. But they're related. And I think it's as though Paul is saying to us here that, that this isn't going to fit in our boxes. Our journey with God, faith in Christ, walking with the Holy Spirit, isn't going to meet our expectations. It's going to blow our minds. It has a fourth dimension to it. It's not just that it's bigger than us and beyond us. It's that we don't even have the right categories for it. Later in his prayer, Paul says that the love of Christ surpasses understanding. It surpasses knowledge. You can't figure it out. You can't measure it. You can't control it. Not even those Swedish engineers who write up the IKEA instructions could figure it out themselves. Okay, maybe that's not a great example. I know uh, not all of us have the warmest feelings towards uh, whoever it is, whether it's engineers or someone else who writes those instruction booklets. Let's say this. Not even NASA could figure out God's love because it is out of this world. It is four-dimensional. It is more than we can imagine. You can't think your way into understanding God's love. You have to yield to it. So what image comes to mind for you when you hear those words? The width and length and height and depth of the love of Jesus. We don't have actual measurements, so you're free to fill in the blanks. What for you has that kind of scope, that kind of size? I thought immediately uh, when I was reading this passage this week of the huge black walnut trees in our backyard that tower over us and keep us cool and the roots, we're always encountering them when we dig into the ground. What do you see in your mind when you picture something with that kind of breadth and scope? If you've got a piece of paper in front of you, you may even wanna start sketching, doodling, drawing something that has that kind of enormity, that that kind of inspirational size and potential for you. Uh, or if you're not someone who likes to draw so much, I'd encourage you to write something in the comments section, in YouTube or on Facebook. What, what is the image you have of the size of God's love? My grandma used to sing an old song. Wide, wide is the ocean, high as the heavens above, deep, deep as the deepest sea is my Savior's love. For his word teaches me that his love reaches me everywhere. I love that, and uh, the ocean, obviously, is another picture we can have that that helps us to see the width and the depth of God's love. But I think that Paul's also, in that description of, of the love of Jesus, getting at the idea that it can reach us anywhere, like the old song put it. It's growing, it's expanding, and we've got to grow with it. That's where the next part of Paul's prayer comes in. The prayer that we would be filled with all the fullness of Christ. This time, it's more than asking God to dwell in our hearts. This language of fullness, um, if you know the language of the Bible, immediately makes us think of the temple. It's temple language. God filled the temple with his glory in the Old Testament. The fullness of God dwelled in the temple. And it also takes us back to the end of chapter 2. Uh, for this reason Paul said he started this prayer for this reason what he was talking about is at the end of chapter 2 he gives us this picture of how we as the church are being built together into a new temple into a new building with Christ as the te- as the cornerstone and each of us as living stones built into it and that's the kind of fullness that he is praying for for us to experience together this is a prayer for the church This is a prayer not for us individually, but for us to come together uh, into the love of Christ. And in verse 18, he prays for us to have power together with all the Lord's holy people. It's almost like he's saying that the power comes with the togetherness, that they are inseparable. I brought along a plant, because it's one thing to talk about trees and plants, but it's another thing to have one in your hands. And and I think the fullness image, this idea of fullness that that Paul is praying for us, uh, maybe this daisy in a pot can help us understand that. I brought this from my mom's garden about a week ago. It has roots, Um, some of them are poking out of the bottom, but not too many and not too deep because it's in this small container. And if it's left this way, it will never achieve its purpose, it will never really flourish If it stays in this pot, it'll probably die in the end, actually. So I have to plant it in my garden where it can grow freely and where it can multiply. The fullness of God comes as we seek his peace and reconciliation. As we seek that in the church, as we seek that in our relationships beyond the church, in our society, in our city as we get out of our small corners. Now, how am I supposed to do that during a pandemic, you might ask? Well, all this talk of being rooted and planted and growing doesn't have to be theory. Did you know that Courtright has an incredible community garden that is growing just out behind the church, even as I speak? It started last year, and this year, I think it's more than triple the size, It's, it's much more extensive. And the produce from this vegetable garden goes to support people in our neighborhood, and goes to those in need of the city of Guelph. And if you want to get involved in that, you can email Brian Watson, and the email address will be on the screen there. So there's lots of social distancing. You don't have to worry about that. There's lots of room for people to spread out when they're gardening, and you can get your hands dirty. You can be with people. You can get to know some new people at Courtway perhaps, and maybe some of the neighbors, because people are always walking up and asking, what is this anyway? What's going on? So back to Paul's prayer. Paul prays for us to have more power, more love, and more fullness in our lives. The church needs the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to say it's no accident that Paul is kneeling to start this prayer. We've talked a fair bit recently about racial justice. Robert George is a law professor at Princeton University in New Jersey. And he wrote something pretty amazing on Twitter earlier this week. This is what he wrote. He said, I sometimes ask my students what their position on slavery would be if they'd been white and living in the south before abolition. Guess what? They all would have been abolitionists. They all would have bravely spoken out against slavery and worked tirelessly against it. Of course, this is nonsense, he continues. Only the tiniest fraction of them, or any of them, would have spoken up against slavery or lifted a finger to free the slaves. Most of them, and most of us, would have gone along with it all. Many would have supported the slave system and happily benefited from it. So I tell my students that I will believe them if they can show evidence that in leading their lives today they've stood up for the rights of unpopular victims of injustice and done so knowing, first, that it would make them unpopular with their peers, second, that they would be loathed and ridiculed by powerful influential people and institutions in our society. Third, that they would be abandoned by many of their friends. Fourth, that they would be called nasty names. And fifth, that they would risk being denied valuable professional opportunities as a result of their moral witness. I challenge my students to show where they have, at risk to themselves and to their futures, stood up for a cause that is unpopular in elite sectors of our culture today. I read that and I had to stop and give it thought. Because it is not just a challenge that Robert George offers his students, it's a challenge to all of us. Who among us is strong enough, is courageous enough to do that, to offer that kind of witness, as he puts it, to to work for what is right and true, to love courageously. But that is exactly the power we need, the power that Paul is praying for us to have. That's the power the Holy Spirit gives the church. And we see that in the history of the church over and over. And we see it today. We see it in the renewal of the church right now during this pandemic, in our own congregation also. And that power is available only because of the love that Jesus offers. His love is the kind of love, the brave love, the love that goes beyond what we could have imagined that Robert George is talking about in this challenge he gives his students. The love of Jesus is wider, longer, higher, and deeper than anything else has ever been. It's wider than anything to bring together Gentile and Jew, to welcome home every sinner who repents, to get beyond everything that would divide us. It's longer than anything to include every lifetime, to span every age in history, and all the saints who from their labors rest. It's higher than anything, because it leads into the very presence of God, where Jesus is seated at his right hand, promising to share his glory with us, and interceding for us. And it's deeper than anything, because Jesus did more than kneel. He came down, he lowered himself to the point where he died for us. He gave up all of his power. He gave up his life by going to the cross for us. He became despised and rejected for our sake. He even descended into hell. His love, the love of Jesus, is that deep and that high and that long and that wide. And it means that he's able to forgive us like no one else can. He's able to forgive all of our sins, our lack of courage, our, our lack of integrity, our, our, all of our hypocrisy, all the ways we've failed him and failed others. He forgives that. He wipes that clean. And he can give us life and hope like nothing else can. He wraps us in the righteousness of his self, of this righteousness of Jesus. And he promises, and this is the doxology with which Paul concludes his prayer. Doxology means a word of glory. Uh, It's a a praise to God. Uh, It's a blessing. And so Paul promises that God will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine through his mighty power at work in us, together with all God's people in his church. And so we say to him be the glory, and we wait on him in the expectation that he will come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That is our prayer. Amen.